0: Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle L. Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com.
1: a weekend with uh, very little actual sports now gives way to a big week of getting set for the biggest sporting event of all we welcome you to fantasy sports daily kyle and ray flowers back with you powered by FantasyGuru.com. welcome to super bowl 58 week five more days or six more days right i can't even keep track but uh by this time next week we'll have a new champion and I don't know. It'll probably be an old champion. Getting excited for the 49ers and the Chiefs yet? I'll I'll tell you this, Kyle. I'm really excited about the game. This is probably the most excited I've been about a game in
0: years. I have zero interest in talking about the game this week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're Um, on the wrong show, buddy. (laughs) I know.
0: It's just like, you know, I mean, I'm now in baseball mode. Like, I've made the switch, and so uh, I'm looking forward to the game, and I'll hopefully have some things to say here that make sense during the
1: week. We're not going to bury you under an avalanche on Monday. The avalanche will slowly grow as we get towards the weekend. Um, I I will say, this weekend, Ray, I spent a lot of time uh, still watching sports, despite the fact that there were no real sports, but I I watched a lot of – Sports that weren't really sports. What I mean by that, um, for one thing, one of my favorite things to do, and I don't get to do it every year, and it's kind of totally dorky, but, Ray, every year, a week before the Super Bowl, NFL Network, mm-hmm. they run all those NFL films, Super Bowl so recap. Good. yeah. I love them. I love them. Uh, they started Saturday evening, and they're one after another, 30 minutes apiece, every mm-hmm. single Super Bowl. Yep. And uh, I I didn't know it had started. I kind of stumbled upon Super Bowl four was was when I showed up. Right. Um, and, and I watched a lot between like four and 10. Then overnight, you know, they're still running them. I had to sleep. So I missed a lot of the teens and the early 20s. I got back into it uh, probably in the late 20s and early 30s. And then, Ray, I was lucky enough to kind of be hanging around the house yesterday. I just left it on all day. I, I went through all. And, and one thing I figured out, Ray, in watching this this marathon of Super Bowls, I'm even more impressed by the Patriots and Tom Brady. Like like you forget the Super Bowls they made it and they lost. <laughs> it's like there there's a run where it feels like every single I I was surprised when I would watch a Super Bowl recap and it didn't include the Patriots. Those were the stunning ones for me.
0: Well I, to to your point, I used to watch these all the time. They used to I run them on ESPN leading up to the Super Bowl when we were yep. young. And back in the day like ESPN had SportsCenter but you know there wasn't the the reach of media. You couldn't go to YouTube. There was no such thing as YouTube. So watching those things every year, same thing. like in, and that was back in the day when there were fifteen Super Bowls. like so yeah. you could watch all of them right in two days., uh, great stuff. and yeah, the the music and the voice and the way it's put together. and uh, the gameplay is so different. Like when you watch now, yeah. you know versus the highlights, you're like, wow, the guys are bigger. they're faster. things are are different on the field. but yeah, you 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 get a new perspective when you realize, there were kind of decades, right? It was the Cowboys. It was the Steelers. It was the Niners. It was the Patriots. You know, they're, hell, even the Vikings and the Bills were there, but they never, you know, won the big dance. But, yeah, the uh, there was a lot of Tom Brady and a lot of Bill <laughs> Belichick. And the uh, greatest coach of all time is still without a job right now. It's kind of surprising. There
1: is there, something uh, endlessly fascinating about slow-mo confetti <laughs> falling at the end of a win. And they always show the coach lifting up or the player holding the, you know, all that. It, it was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. And again, they they Ray mentioned how ESPN used to do it. I don't think they do it anymore. Maybe they'll do it throughout the week leading up. But now they just talk and talk and talk. But I love the history of it. Um, Absolutely enjoy that stuff. The second thing I spent a ton of time on, Ray, was uh, you know how little Walter, who is doing better. Uh, for those who are concerned, the limp is mostly gone. So he's he's recovering. Um. He, it, at least I know he's not Christian Watson. That is like the the reassuring thing I've discovered, Ray, is he's he's not going to limp for like eight months. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the other thing, Walt is is hugely into hockey, Ray. And, mm-hmm. and I will tell you, I watched the entire skills competition Friday night mm-hmm. and I watched the entire All-Star game Saturday. Two things I have never done in my 40-plus years on earth. I did it this weekend. And maybe I'm seeing it through the eyes of a child. Mm-hmm. But the all-star game was kind of enjoyable. And and the skills competition, you probably didn't see this, Ray, but they reformatted it. I Connor McDavid kind of got involved and he said, this is what we should do. And he nailed it. It was like, it was a contest. There were a bunch of cool skills. You got to see things that were difficult. Um, they, they created it to where it went down to the finish line with W. It. it was good. Now I Now, Sal in our chat room says, amazing. I I don't know if I'd go amazing, right? But it was entertaining television over the weekend. I'll say this:
0: I missed it on Friday, okay? But I'm looking at this, the the you know the program, uh, the TV guide, if you will, right, with Comcast, and it's like here's the review. I'm like, all right, I'll I'll click, I'll record the review. So I record the review or the replay. Sorry, the replay, and I I start playing, and it's 20 minutes into the event. I'm like, what? (laughs) So then I tried recording it again. Same thing happened. I'm like, guys, so then I did 50 minute 60-minute re- the, the highlight show. And that was it. I'm like, everything I recorded. So I missed I never saw the whole thing. I probably saw an hour of it. I couldn't yeah. watch it. I thought it was cool, too. But yeah, NHL, come on. You guys got to do a better job of centering these highlights and these replays so that when people actually want to watch it on demand, they can watch it on
1: demand. The, the, the probably the most memorable thing, Nikita Kucherov of Tampa Bay Ray mm. literally could not give two flying Fs about that. <laughs> he went out there and like did nothing and played the villain it was the fans were booing him. It, was, it was enjoyable but yeah. uh good time I, I recommend you know if you got hockey fans it's certainly like i said the the competitions and the skills were pretty cool
0: yeah you know,
1: guys were struggling to hit boxes with their passes mm-hmm. like uh they had bigger side it was it was, it was cool uh really enjoyed it so That was a sport and a weekend without real sports. You know, those were all kind of just exhibitions and watching old Super Bowls. Uh, This weekend's going to be different. Uh, Ray, all week long, we'll be talking Super Bowl. We'll be talking baseball. Um, On the Super Bowl side, uh, pretty well, here's the plan for the week. Um, Every single day, we're going to talk some odds and some props. Every single day, we're going to talk about a new, um, you know, matchup or bit to follow or key Uh, head-to-head whatever it may be we're going to do one each and every day as we get deeper into the week Thursday Friday uh, we'll start hit really hitting the DFS stuff Uh, we still got our fingers crossed that uh, the legendary Jeff Manns will stop in at some point so we'll see if that takes place Uh, but we'll try to get Tyler Armando maybe somebody else to join us so we'll have a lot of Super Bowl this week Uh, today we'll get into some early props also we will talk about the other running back in this matchup it's not just Christian McCaffrey There is another guy. Uh, A couple of NFL news and notes. We've got some OCs and DCs being hired, including a pair of them in the District of Columbia. A couple of names that you recognize that will be joining the uh, coaching staff of Dan Quinn. Um, Also, Derrick Henry and Stephon Diggs talking about their futures over the weekend. So we'll hit on that in the NFL. On the baseball side, Ray is wanting to talk tiering today. So we will discuss that as we continue to Preview his uh, fantasy guru draft guide for the upcoming baseball season. And this week will be all about second baseman. Uh, Last week was first baseman. The week before were catchers. We will get into second baseman today. And our one big question, Ray, will be about a player who would have fit very well into the 1950s. Uh, I don't know how well he fits in 2024. But we will wonder the big question, Ray, Luis Arise. A good baseball player, but what's he worth in the fantasy game is kind of the question.
0: Yeah, and he had a great season last year, so I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, One thing, he loses all that positional flexibility he used to have, which makes him a little more difficult to be 100% behind the guy you got to get. But he's damn good at what he does, and we'll talk about it in a bit.
1: So we'll get to all that. Chat room open. If you got questions, send them our way. Uh, thanks to everybody on X, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're at, downloading the podcast. We do certainly appreciate it. Uh, Ray would appreciate if you took him up on an offer. Uh, Ray, you got an offer for the people out there, don't you?
0: Of course, we've got an offer. We have two. We have multiple offers actually for the people. Uh, we've got the baseball product available right now, uh, and again, full season all the way through to the World Series. You get the rankings updated the first of every month once the season begins. We're reviewing everything. We're we're posting 12 to 15 articles a week right now. So there's tons of stuff to review and get ready for your drafts. Uh, You can use the promo code FSD20 to get even a further discount on the uh, early bird pricing. The FSD20 should work for all the packages. Like, You want to buy a hat or a t-shirt, get some swag. It should even work for that. So FSD20. And then on the football side of things, it is Super Bowl week, as Kyle's talking about. We have the Super Bowl betting guide available on its own. You can also get it as part of the package. Why would you not get the all-in package? Get the all-in football package. It's $19.99. It gets you all the seasonal stuff this week. It gets you all the DFS stuff this week. It gets you the the Super Bowl betting guide as well. And then it also includes the off-season franchise mode, which is basically our preview running up uh, to the draft. So that's available right now for $19.99 on the football side of things.
1: Well, and you mentioned the uh, betting guide uh, that people can take a look at and enjoy uh, that's a big part of this, Ray. And I, I don't know, the NFL and, and the Super Bowl gets bigger and bigger every year. Who knows how much of it is because of things like uh, legalized gambling? I saw last night 60 Minutes had a big feature on legalized gambling last night, and uh, some of the positives and negatives that are there uh, as we lead into Super Bowl week. And it's becoming bigger and bigger. And obviously, Ray, I mean, look no further than where we're at this week Las Vegas, man. <laughs> I mean, we are in Las Vegas, which 10 years ago, Ray. I wouldn't have been expected, and for pretty well the majority of our lifetime, you and me and some of our followers, Vegas was a place that was shoot, shoot. We don't want anything to do with Vegas, and now, I, I would suspect Ray, the NFL is going to be here every five years, mm-hmm. and and it wouldn't even be surprising if eventually they're here every three years. Like it, for those who aren't following it, the the ticket prices for this week's Super Bowl are the highest on record. Now, you know, inflation adjusted. I don't know about that, all those things. But, Ray, what I can tell you is if this game were being played in Minneapolis um, or this game were being played in Houston, it wouldn't be like this. The, the, The Vegas pull is really got the excitement at kind of a fevered pitch I think for uh, Super Bowl 58.
0: yeah maybe Vegas can become the new Superdome right the Superdome would have all these yeah. Super Bowls kind of be the newer version of that uh it's it's fascinating I have a, a memory bank here and I could be totally off on this but I, I really think it happened seven eight years ago there was an NFL fantasy there's a fantasy football event that was scheduled to take place and I think Tony Romo was part of it and the yeah. NFL stepped in and said no Yep, like they wouldn't. Even, is that that happen, right? I'm not making yeah, that. Yeah,
1: there up. was something where Tony Romo was associated with promoting some sort of gambling. Yeah, and it was a it was like a four day issue, and they told I yeah. couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, and so and now we're having the event in Vegas. So things change. Um, and <laughs> you know, I think when and it's it's weird because in baseball, you you know, 30 years ago, there was the the suit that led to the 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 thing that got all the way to the Supreme Court with the Godfather Charlie Weger. The suit that Major League Baseball, who had ignored fantasy baseball for years, decided that, yeah, well, if you want to play fantasy baseball, you got to pay us a license to use the players' names. It's like, what? You ignored us for a decade, and now that it starts to become popular, you want your pound of flesh? And I think the NFL finally said we can figure out a way to walk this path where we can include that. Now, there have been Calvin Ridleys and the Keyshawn Boots of the world, so there have been been some issues here. uh, But everyone's happy to be uh, piling up the money, and uh, people are spending a lot of money in gambling.
1: Well, and if you look at the uh, early lines, and I guess it's not early anymore because the lines have been out for over a week, but um, let's see. The the Chiefs are a two-point dog in this game. Uh, over-under is 47.5. Money line, which is straight-up winner, uh, minus 125 for the 49ers, and the Chiefs are at plus 105. So needless to say, Ray, we're expecting a close game. I'm a, I'm a little surprised to see it uh, not closer to 50. Okay. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this game will have that certain potential. Uh, the Chiefs are looking probably the best they have offensively all season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it the 49ers have a defense, but Ray, that defense hasn't been anything astounding lately. Like they can be pushed around a bit. We saw it with Detroit. Even Green Bay kind of moved the football in San Francisco. I Of those three numbers, spread, over, under, and you know, money line I don't really care about, but I, I think that over, I'm I'm kind of leaning that direction on the 47 and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the Chiefs, and, and you and I have talked, we've talked about this for years. I think everyone has too. The fact that the Chiefs are always the favorite. They always have this, you know, five, six, seven point spread, and they never cover it, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they've been really, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm sure we'll get into it later in the week, but they've had a hard time meeting expectations. That's because the expectations are so high, but they are, seemingly playing the best football, like you said, that they have all year. The defense has been good all year. The offense is, I think they finally figured it out, right, with the pieces they've got, and they, they have an, a plan of attack. And to your point, the Niners have struggled of late. I mean, the Niners gave up 180 rushing yards last week, or last game, excuse me, to Lions, which is a massive amount of, of rushing yards for a team that, you know, frequently was given up under 100. So mm-hmm. um, we'll talk a little bit more about Pacheco and all of that here. But the, the yeah, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time personally because I picked the Niners way back when to make the Super Bowl. And now that they're here, I don't know if I'm gonna pick them to win. I feel it's weird because I didn't anticipate the Chiefs getting here. So mm. I I'm struggling with that, that money line cop.
1: You mentioned Pacheco, and and as noted, we're gonna talk about a specific prop each and every day. Um wanted to spotlight Pacheco because all the attention when it comes to running backs this weekend is gonna be Christian McCaffrey. He's the best running back in all of football. And and Ray, for those playing DFS or you know certainly prop bets. McCaffrey's going to get a lot of overs, a lot of interest in him. But I thought today we'd spotlight Pacheco. Um, we'll, we'll start with this rushing total, 60 and a half. Uh The over, or excuse me, 66 and a half. I need to get my eyes checked. Minus Uh, minus 120 for the over and minus 110 for the under. So that that's not an easy bet either way. What I like here are two things, right? You mentioned San Francisco kind of in the, in the issues slowing the rundown and the fact that really i would say ray since the middle of this season or maybe the end of october early november the chiefs have been pounding the rock with isaiah pacheco and there have been some pop games since early november but overall ray it's just like the he's becoming like a, a horse mm-hmm. and it's weird because he doesn't profile that way and this is really our first instance of a long-term run of constant work. But the carries, 24, 15, 24, 18, 11, 18, 15, 19, 16. I mean, we're averaging, Ray, an easy 15 carries a week right now with Pacheco.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I almost think that, you know, come on, who am I? But I think almost Andy Reid remembered, oh, yeah, my offense over the years has always had a running back one. And, oh, yeah, my offenses are great. Like, where has this been? and I think one of the keys to unlocking Pacheco and we've seen him get banged up which is something that happened last year too so there's concern long term but I think one of the keys to this year's success is kind of what we're both saying without saying it the Chiefs stopped stopped all the nonsense and started playing more straightforward football we've got the best quarterback in football we've got arguably the best offensive mind in football let's just win like, mm-hmm. let's stop having you know nose tackles and four-string tight ends catch. Let's just do our thing. Let's get rid of Jarek McKinnon. Let's all this nonsense, underhand shovel passes. Let's just play straight up football. And guess what? It's working. And Pacheco, to your point, uh, you know, is he someone that should be touching it twenty two times a week? Eh, you know, yeah. but he's been getting the rock a ton, and he's been having lots of success. But he's getting in the end zone. He's been involved as a pass catcher. Now that could all take a little bit of a hit if McKinnon is activated for this game because they opened the 21-day window for him. Uh, that that ability to catch three or four passes every week, which Pacheco's been doing, has really helped out his fantasy value for those games where he's rushing for 55 or 60 yards instead of not having a big effort there.
1: And and I would lean the over here, but in a world of a trillion possible bets, like minus 120 versus minus 110, it's like I'm not I don't care about that one. So it's to me it's it's a prop that I kind of think is is easy. But the payoff's not good. And and for people who maybe are are just interested for the first time looking at this stuff. You you know, you can't play every prop. So you got to find the ones that you feel best about, but also that have a better payoff, you know, that make it worth your time. And obviously with that number, I don't really think it's it's worth your time. But that is our spotlighted prop. I'll I'll go the over Ray. How about you officially on Pacheco? 66 and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, you never know, but I think the workload should be there. I think the game flow will be close enough that they'll continue to run. I'll take the over and not expect him to go for 120, but I'll take the over.
1: Well, and, and this leads into a further discussion about Pacheco and kind of his importance of this game and the important uh, role he's he's taken. You know, for the 49ers, Ray, the reputation is a great defense, and they are a very good defense. I'm not here to say they aren't, but I think people might be surprised. I mean, I'm looking, and this includes the playoffs, obviously, but uh, let's see, five of the last six games, the, these are what the total allowed rushing yardage totals are. Um 234, 102, 62, 109, 136, 182. And and Ray, I, I don't know. It's weird to say, well, gosh, we, we should run against the 49ers, because when you're running against the 49ers, that means you aren't letting Patrick Mahomes pass. <laughs> Which in years past, Ray, I would say, well, gosh, the Chiefs aren't going to make that move. But as you and I have discussed, they're much more willing to do that. Uh, Part of it is because of the ascension of Pacheco, but also they've had inconsistencies at wide receiver. Uh, The offense is not near as wide open or fast paced as it has been in years past. So this could very well be a game where, where the Chiefs say, oh, wow, we do have an advantage running the football and we'll actually take advantage of it instead of force feeding 35, 40 passes from Patrick Mahomes.
0: Yeah, and I think, obviously, so much of this comes down to game flow, uh, but when you look at the, the the one of the key matchups, as it always is, is the lines, right? Offense, defensive line, all that kind of thing. Um, Joe Thune, the one of their offensive guard, Are we? do you hear definitively he's out, Kyle? I haven't seen definitively. I'd say he's pretty
1: doubtful. Yeah. injury. Yeah, yeah,
0: they said maybe it's even a torn pec, so there might even be surgery necessary. So that's, that's a significant hit, because the Niners lost to Funga in the defensive backfield, and He's an important, and very good and important player. And as we have seen throughout the season and into the playoffs, the Niners can be beat in the defensive backfield. That's not good facing Patrick Mahomes. You don't want to have him extend plays and wait and wait and wait, and use his legs and move around the pocket because he'll pick the Niners defensive secondary apart. He probably will. So it's going to be paramount that the Niners are able to get to Mahomes and p- cause him pressure and cause plays to break down with their offensive line and their linebacking core. So that battle between the Niners D-line and the Chiefs' O-line might be the matchup to, to focus on this week because I think that it could drastically alter the way the Chiefs are able to attack the Niners. And if they're not able to set the pocket and have success running the ball to keep the Niners' pass rush off Mahomes, that's trouble for, the, for Mahomes. If they can if they can do that, if they can run the ball effectively, four or five yards a pop, set a pocket, I think Mahomes has success against the Niners.
1: Yeah, regardless of what happens with with particularly Pacheco in this game, we've talked a couple of weeks ago about running backs and ray a, a majority of the top 12 where they finished this year the best running backs i don't think anybody's going to be hyped about them hyped about them going into next year they, they you'll know, draft them obviously but not you know the positions in a flux pacheco again no matter what happens in this game ray it, you're probably looking at a guy who's top 8 off the board at running back, is that too high for Isaiah Pacheco? I mean, hasn't he kind of shown that, that level? And, and the Chiefs have shown that commitment to him to where he's at very least top 10, right, for next season?
0: I'm trying to find the draft that you hosted the other night. Let's, I'll try to find that as we're talking here. You hosted a draft on SiriusXM. and was looking forward to head to, to next year. Um, I think Pacheco, with what we're seeing right now, is likely to be a running back one on draft day. Uh, I if I look at the draft that you did host, he went in the third round. So the first pick of the third round, that was a twelve-team league, right? Yeah, so 18. yeah, so the first pick of the third round, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So he's like the ninth running back off the board. To your point, yeah. and I think that's fair. Now there could be movement. Obviously, they could bring someone else in to fill the McKinnon Ceh role, if you will. But I think the plan would be for McKinnon to touch. I mean, excuse me, for uh, Pacheco to touch the ball eighteen times a week. Because they did this last year for a stretch and he was very good. They've done it this year for a stretch and he's very good. The question is, can he do it for 17 games? And I don't know if the answer to that is yes. So they're going to have some, you know, they'll have support for Pacheco. But I think that if Pacheco is healthy, they fully would intend for him to be the main cog of the offense through the
1: backfield. You brought up the name Jarek McKinnon there. Um, over the weekend, he was uh, designated for return. Uh, so that means I, I assume he'll be practicing this week. They'll see how he feels. So it's been a growing injury. He's been out for, what are we up to, seven, eight weeks probably now with Jared McKinnon. Um, and, and again, for those maybe in a one and done format, uh, we'll see if McKinnon's available. But that could be a, a decent play if you're desperate in the backfield, but certainly something to follow. As, as for the help with the rest of these, I mean, you mentioned Thune with, with the peck injury. Um, sounds like Kadarius Toney is maybe set to play (laughs) we got four days of like in effect walkthroughs so we'll see if Kadarius stoney can get there um on the san francisco side everything appears good um maybe there's a couple defensive things banged up guys but i think everybody will be out there certainly the the offensive pieces that matter including debo samuel uh, so we should be good to rock and roll. McKinnon probably the big thing to follow. Uh, again, more Super Bowl throughout the week, but we'll kind of let it be for today. Couple of quick hitters on the football side before we uh, cycle into baseball. Sounds like the Commanders, who not only got Dan Quinn as their head coach last week, who, you know, I was watching the Super Bowl highlights. Oh yeah, Dan Quinn got his team to a Super Bowl. Now they collapsed to to New England, but we kind of forget about that. You know, Dan Quinn, he got him there, <laughs> yeah. and and yet now I think Washington's a little uninspired by the Dan Quinn hire? Should they be inspired, Ray, by the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator? And now it looks like Stephen Belichick is coming in as the D coordinator with the uh, commanders.
0: Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, you, the Raiders. Oh, wait, no, I'm not going to take that job. I'm going to go to the command. I don't know about Cliff Kingsbury. I, don't I think know. you met Mark Davis. And oh, that. Maybe, maybe that was, <laughs> in theory, it sounded good, but no, once I got there. Uh, I mean, I mean, their, their connections obviously Kingsbury and Caleb Williams and we'll see how it all plays out. There is a belief that obviously Kingsbury is a I don't know if offensive genius but a guy that can spur an offense along and you know he had a dynamic weapon in Kyler Murray in Arizona it didn't work he he had, you know he dealt with Patrick Mahomes in college they didn't win a ton of games I don't know I mean it's it's not a bad hire we'll see how it we'll see how it goes and it certainly was something that was needed because, uh, you know, Dan Quinn is not an offensive mind, so they needed to bring someone in that could handle that
1: side of the football. It, this this uh, situation, because Washington's number two, right, That's mm-hmm, Correct. I, I wonder, Ray, let's say they fall in love with Caleb Williams. Obviously, Kingsbury has worked pretty closely with Caleb Williams at USC. What, what do you think they'd be willing to pay to jump ahead of the Bears? And, and that's why I, I think, Ray, over the next two months— Again, we're we're still hearing the Bears are interested in, in William. I think we're gonna hear more of that. Um, I'm not really buying it. Maybe I've been wrong the whole time, but Ray, I expect to hear that the Bears are, are done with Justin Fields and they're gonna draft Caleb Williams purely because if Washington really falls in love with William, the Bears might be able to get another first rounder out of this, you know. Do you think they're really that? jumping one spot yeah. if it's the quarterback, Ray, like you're like sold. That's the cue. If you're Washington, don't you have to jump? Don't you have to? Like, you have to overpay. If you really believe he's the guy, then you overpay to go and grab him, I think.
0: It's a great question, and there'll be tons written and talked about this very fact as we move forward. I mean... This is an organization who you pointed out numerous times when we talked about the commanders over the last couple of weeks. They had a quarterback in Kirk Cousins. They let him go. That's really the only quarterback they've had in forever. They had Alex Smith for a little bit. Like, it's always these one-offs, right? Mm -hmm. And they need to establish. they got a new owner. They're trying to go in a new direction. New head coach, new OC. They need that quarterback. It will be fascinating to see if they would overpay to to get Caleb Williams. Because, I mean, there's a chance. that There is a chance, obviously, that the Bears don't make a move. They just draft Marvin Harrison's kid. Yeah. Right, and they they pair him with D.J. Moore and Cole Komet and the running attack, and all of a sudden, wow! Now the now the Bears are so. We will see, but I, uh, it depends on the price. If you if you had to give up another first round pick to move up one spot, that pick better not turn out to be Bryce Young. It well, better work. Well,
1: let's put in perspective, Ray. You got a whole new staff in D.C. Mm-hmm. Whole new staff, mm-hmm. and the number one thing they have to have is QB. Correct. Now, they could go Drake May or somebody else, but usually these teams say, this is our guy. They don't right. say, oh, we're fine with any of these three quarterbacks. They they don't. I don't believe they say that. Maybe they will. But I, I think for a coaching staff and for a franchise that has been so pitiful, and and I'll say this, right: if they don't make the move, then they're probably not sold in the greatness of one Caleb Williams or right. something. Because yeah. you know? I think if, if you think there's that one guy, then you're going to make the move to go get that guy. Um, unless they have somebody working with the the bears that says no, nah, we're we're going here, so don't even worry about that. Mm-hmm. Then maybe they sit, but it, it'll be fascinating to see. I think for the commanders, and uh, hey, we love talking about the draft before it happens, so even more to talk about right there. Um, let's see before it happens. Derek Henry, Stephon Diggs, probably going to happen at this point. Um, I think the Henry thing. He he was talking this weekend, said, oh, it's up in the air with Tennessee. You know, we saw at the end of last season he kind of a uh, bit ado. To the Titan fans. And I, I think that's the direction the Titans are going to go. Uh, the Stefan Diggs thing, Ray, and you never know which way the wind's blowing with Diggs. Like, whatever he said yesterday really means nothing to today because, you know, maybe the wind has changed. But he was saying over the weekend that he is also in kind of limbo, which I, I said after that loss to the Chiefs, I think Stefan Diggs is probably moving on. Like, this will probably end with him being traded, uh, with them freeing up cap space and you know, looking for bridge receivers, if you will. And it's kind of, I get the Henry thing, Ray, you know, it's run its course, yeah. He's an old, right. The yeah. digs thing is, it shouldn't be like this, but I think he's turning this into such a, uh, an issue, isn't he? I mean,
0: four straight years of 150 plus targets, four straight years of 100 catches, four straight years of eight touchdowns, and here's $27 million to play football, and I'm going <laughs> to complain about it. Yeah. Like, why? I was talking with my lady about
1: this. You I'm like nailed that right?
0: Well, I was talking to my lady about this. I go, can you imagine a world where someone pays you twenty seven million dollars and you're like, nah, I got I gotta change this up,
1: yeah, or I'm not happy. I'm not getting getting hundred and fifty targets. Yeah. My team is winning. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can imagine, Ray is he hates the city of Buffalo. that, <laughs> that must be it. but it's just so yeah, I, and it's a ama-
0: and I think it's fair, and this is the old Bill Walsh get out a year early than a year late thing. If you're the bills. And something attractive comes along. You know, you don't want this to become an issue in training camp. And then it spills into the season. Then in week four, he blows up. Like, they have to give serious consideration to moving on from him, which seems ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there it is. And, you know, the, the, the grass is always greener on the other side. That seems to be what every wide receiver thinks. All of them. It's like a, they're brainwashed into that. And it's a very weird thing. Because on the surface, like, you, like we've said here, there is no reason unless he just hates where he is, to your point, that he'd want out. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, and and there are plenty of teams, honestly, that will probably take a shot, you know, on Stefan Diggs because he's still productive. Um, I think for the Bills, it's this idea of, okay, he is maybe an issue on the sidelines and in the locker room. He's still good enough on the field. But, again, we saw him, Peter Patter, to the end of the season. He was very quiet. And and the, the fear from Buffalo's perspective is – if we don't find capable receivers, and it's gotta be plural because Gabe Davis is gonna be gone probably too. You know, you're gonna have a lot to and, and Ray, if you if you swing and miss, you probably wasted another year of Josh Allen's prime, mm-hmm. and you've wasted another year where you can be competitive. I mean, they're getting old on defense. They're, that window's starting to close. It it really is. Like the Bills maybe have one more year, barring just like a killer draft or some great moves in free agency and maybe have just one more year to get it right. So so it's that difficult decision, too. If you plan to rebuild anyway come 2025, maybe you cross your fingers with Diggs and, and hold on to them for another season. But something to follow, a lot of things to follow as we near the offseason. Again, kickoff on Sunday night for that Super Bowl, by the way, uh, 6.30 Eastern. Um, Usher. Ah, oh, Usher, yeah. Yeah, so stick around for that. Uh, let's get some baseball in. Ray's been very patient for 30 minutes. Good job. Half an
0: hour, Kyle. We did it.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's start with uh, previewing the MLB draft guide. We like to uh, spotlight a uh, write-up, a column, whatever it is, each and every day here on the show. Uh, Ray, today we are talking tiering, which um, I will admit, something I like to do, Mm -hmm. something I think is important. Um, I have found, admittedly, this is pure admission here, with what I've done and what you know, I do with Ray every day for like the last 15 years. I don't actually physically sit there, Ray, and tear. Like here, I'm seeing color-coded things. I, I don't create this beautiful chart. And it's when you talk about this every day, Ray, and you're breaking these things down and you live it, mm-hmm. you kind of have the tears built into your heads. Like right now, I don't have my tears, but as we go through this process of, you know, I, I cover drafts, I participate in drafts, you and I talk, you know, those tears will, will come together. So this is something that I think is very important for the, the average fantasy player. Um, I don't consider myself average. My results may be average, but I don't consider my myself average because this, this is my gig. This is what I do every day. But I think, Ray, this is something that, that really can help you on draft day as you start to, to participate in a draft. And, you know, we, we know what we want to do in the first three rounds, like guys that are good. But maybe we around six through fifteen, and things become a little cloudy. The tiering process that you do pre-draft can certainly help you in the draft to kind of guide you in which direction to go positionally.
0: Absolutely. And as you see there, those are not rankings for this year. That's just a screen grab from last season. Uh, and uh, we have it this year color coded. There's also numbering there. If you don't want to waste your printer ink uh, and you want to print it out, there's numbers there too for that. But basically, What we're doing is as we talked previously about how top overall ranking lists are terrible. You don't want to draft over off a top 300 list. You don't want to draft off ADP. Those are not good ways to put a competitive team together. What the tiering model does is it helps you group like performers together. And what's interesting and what I think trips people up a little bit when they look at this uh, model is they might say to themselves, well, you know, looking at the list there on the board, how are Ellie De La Cruz and Nico Horner on the same tier? because Nico Horner going to hit nine home runs. L.A. De La Cruz is going to hit 26, right? Uh, Nick Horner is going to hit 297. L.A. De La Cruz is going to hit 231. Like they're different players. We're trying to group like producers. And part of that is what they produce in all the categories. Part of that is where they're in the batting order. Part of that is the health component. So it's basically a combination of all the factors that go into the fantasy value of the players. So everyone on the same tier is looked at as a similar player in terms of the likely output they produce. They might get there in different ways. Again, power, speed, batting average, that kind of thing. But they get there the same. They're still a $20 player at the end of the year. They're still a $15 player at the end of the year. It's grouping those like players together and seeing the value and the scarcity of those tiers relative to just an overall list,
1: Kyle. And and it really covers a two-part process, wouldn't you, tier rate? A, it, it lets you see physically, okay, who's available, but also h- how much is still there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm looking at this middle tier. What is that? Three, six, eight dudes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, let's say you go into draft and I do this a lot with positions. They do it a ton in football, but I, I can do it with places like the infield as well, where I'll say, okay, you know, for just to make this simple, I want any of these top 10 second basemen. Mm-hmm. So I'm drafting and let's say seven of them are gone. And we're down to the final three and I'm at the turn and it's like, gosh, probably these guys. I know now's the time to kind of strike at that position. So that's a big bonus. Um, Additionally, and this is B follows part A, part A being kind of like being able to physically see because of the nature of this sport, which many of us play five by five. Ray, one of the difficulties people can have um, is that they will say, okay, I've got three guys, but they're all in the same tier. But, Ray, they can look at their team and say, oh, I'm really short in batting average. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I could use some speed. And that then guides you to the best of those three or the best mm-hmm. of those four. Or the, or the It really specifies the name from that tier that you maybe should lean to. Or maybe it gets you down to two names instead of looking at five. So, again, this, this tiering kind of gets you the collection of the names. And then you can look at your draft and your roster. Mm-hmm. And because of the tiering and seeing what's left and available, you can say, well, wow, God, player B. Is the guy you should be going with? So, and, and this sounds like a lot when you have a minute clock, <laughs> you know. And I get it; it can be a lot. That's why you do mock drafts and all those things. But it really can work, Ray, if, if you kind of compartmentalize everything, mm-hmm. prepare, you know, maybe color coding's your thing. It can really help you uh, put together a, a more relaxing draft instead mm-hmm. of the scramble and just yelling out a name because the clock's about to hit zero.
0: Yeah, and I think it absolutely. Should give you clarity, which is nice to have when you're everything's going on at the draft. A couple of things here. One, I know a lot of people struggle with this. If we're looking at this tier on the, uh, that's on the screen right now, let's assume for the sake of argument that it's correct, right? Uh, you might want Francisco Lindor really badly. But really, there's no difference between getting him and Trey Turner, right? And I think what happens is a lot of people... Or even, you know, Nico Horner, if we're talking about overall fantasy value. I think a lot of people say, I've got to get Francisco Lindor. I've got to get Sean Murphy. I've got to get Spencer Strider. Like, they've got to get this. one. And it's like, well, okay, I understand that. But remember, we're trying to, as most well get the top end, we're trying to minimize the bottom end. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to end up with a bunch of risks at the bottom because we targeted all these guys so heavily at the start that now we're down to tier three and tier four and tier five at all these positions. So that's point number one. Point number two, which, again, I think is the biggest value here, is if you're debating, like you have, let's say you're, you have your example. You've got five players available. Three of them are shortstops. Two of them are second basemen. Which direction do you go? They're all kind of the same, you know, 275, 18 home runs, 15 steals. I got a need. Which direction? Well, there's only two second basemen left. So the tiering monitor would lean you toward taking the second baseman because there's two of those left where there's three shortstops left. So I think it also helps you look positionally at where is that cutoff point. If I got to get one of these top guys in green, right? I got, that's my plan. That's what I think is best. I think there's a huge difference between tiers one and two and three. And there's only two of the guys left on tier three at this position. And there's three at this other position. I got to get the guy where there's two because the odds of two of those guys getting taken obviously is much higher than all three
1: at the other position. So tiering, that's kind of the initial layout, why it matters. Uh, You can find that column and more in the Fantasy Guru Draft Guide. Uh, So good stuff there. And it's actually a a nice uh, segue into what else we're doing today, which is kind of introducing you to the second base position. Now, last week, Ray, I uh, took out a bat and kind of beat up on first baseman. I got to say second baseman's got a bit of an issue, too, uh, when it comes to depth. We start with uh, the stars of last year. Here's your top 12. And honestly, Ray, there's three guys with a bullet, much like first base was. I think first base had four guys who were true studs. Second base has three. Betts was one. Simeon, Albies. Those were the three. And and Albies missed time. You know, he could have even been better. But those are top three. After that, we got good second baseman, but there's a gap. I, I would say, Ray, you know, there's a tier. And maybe Betts is on his own tier with the positional eligibility. I mean, you can make that argument. Maybe he's above and beyond Simeon and Albies. But then Ray nico horner finished fourth that may surprise people uh Marte, Marte, followed by haesong kim who tomorrow we'll talk about surprises he certainly brings on that list and then the back end of the top 12 glaber torres uh byron stott Luisa rise andres jimenez jose altuve and i'm even seeing whit merrifield sneaking into the top 12 and, and i don't think whit doesn't have a job he doesn't have a team yet does he he does not So that's what and your skills are a young man's skill set yeah. yeah and and ray just to qualify quantify it not qualify quantify it um i am looking at a rating based on you know and everybody's got a different you know uh, different equation that adds all this up but it's kind of a money earned mm-hmm. and just to give you an idea mookie bets was almost $42 in money earned last season Um, Number 12 on this list, who is still a second base one, is Whit Merrifield, who was under $10. So that's a massive gap that we have there when we look at this top 10. And Ray, I'm only seeing four guys in total, even over $20. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are are a couple studs here. But other than that, you're kind of looking at guys that have faults, that are maybe two category producers. And then after that, you're praying a third kind of shows up.
0: Yeah, and I think it is it's an interesting position because you've got the Andres Jimenez Bryson Stotts, which are the 15, 25 guys, right? Some power, some speed. You got a guy like Thyro Estrada with the Giants, kind of similar. Then you've got guys on the other end of the spectrum, you know, a guy like Gleber Torres, who, you know, he'll steal some bases, but he's more known for his power. You mentioned guy like Kettle Marte, who was wildly underdrafted last year, He was one of the guys we targeted all preseason and told people to get because he was being under under I obviously went out and had that big season. You talked about Nico Horner, who's got almost the highest floor as anyone at the position of batting average. He certainly could lead the position in steals, uh, but he doesn't have the power of someone like Labor Torres. So yeah, this is a really interesting position. Uh, old, young, power, speed, batting average. There's a little bit of all of that here. And I think the answer to who, who to draft We'll come down to your point that you mentioned earlier, Kyle, of kind of how your team is being constructed. What's the best fit for what you need?
1: Yeah, and and a lot of this, whenever you look at second baseman, is kind of thrown out of whack with Mookie Betts, you know, because we've always envisioned him as an outfielder now for a number of years. And then all of a sudden, he's now, in effect, the second baseman. It sounds like he's going to play second base a lot uh, this upcoming season for the Dodgers. But if you go, you know, five-by-five five categories in the leaders, you know, Bet- Betts is number one in... Home runs, you know, he had 39. They weren't all as a second baseman, but as a qualified second baseman, he's at the top with 39. Batting average goes to Luis Arise. We're going to talk about him in a bit. um Arise hitting what 354 last year, uh just a huge number there. In terms of RBIs, it's actually not bets, it was Ozzy Albies. And Ray, that was with a DL or an IL stint. I mean, he only played 148 games, yeah. uh, led the position with 109. RBIs in terms of runs we're back to bets 126 Uh, should throw in Marcus Simeon at 122 and then on uh let's see stolen bases 43 for Nico Horner and Ray I was in a points league and drafted Nico Horner in like the 26th round yep total steal and yep. and that's uh get it <laughs> total steal by that guy with 40. And, and, and he's funny, Ray, because you look at Nico Horner and I don't want to say he's carried by stolen bases, but, you know, outside of batting average and steals, oh, I guess the runs. He had 98 of them. It's It's a good player, but it's always tough overcoming a guy who can't get you 10 home runs like he, he's kind of just that dude who gets on base and plays 1980s baseball for Well, yeah,
0: and it's always been difficult, this style of player, to your point, because at the end of the year, this style of player is a $20 player, to your point, Mm -hmm. right? It's like 24 bucks, $23, $26. And, you know, you get the batting average, which is not easy to find. And when you talk about 600 bats, the batting average has an impact. You're talking about how he led the position in steals. And even if he doesn't go for 43, it's 33 this year. still a really good number. And he'll score runs because he gets on base a lot. Yeah. But the power, it's not there. And you can find power, but if he's hitting nine or 10 home runs and he hits 277, yeah. if he's hitting that and he's hitting 297, okay. But if that batting average slips, even That's though his fantasy. Thing, right?
1: yeah. and, and we've seen, I mean, like, now he's been pretty damn consistent. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Nico Horner, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, Ray, that he has a down year and hits 261. And if that happens, he's junk. You know, because so much of his thing is driven by getting on base and being on the base to score and to steal. Yep. Now maybe junk is a little strong, but Ray, if he were to lose 25 points of batting average, you got a guy who's gonna be really disappointing based based off where you drafted him. I mean, then he then he starts hurtling down to
0: Tommy Edmonds zone. And Tommy Edmonds a fine guy to have, but yeah, so it is tough uh, to, and again, so it's the fit, right? Because people used to argue with me all the time, my favorite Billy Hamilton, who could never hit, but he's stealing 58 bases every year. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what, you tell, what to tell you, but he was a top 20 <laughs> outfielder last year. Look at the number. Ray, he sucks. I know he sucks. I'm not <laughs> arguing, but he's a top 20 out. That's kind of where that, that Nico Horner thing, zone is. I think that what he has going for him is that he's shown himself to be pretty durable, and I think his skill set is who he it's this is who he is right I think he can hit 285 every year I think he can still 30 bases every year so the floor is really high for him but the ceiling is last year I don't think he can improve upon that
1: uh let's that will kind of wrap it up on our quick preview you know the studs of last year the guys that produced one big question we like to do that every Monday as we kind of introduce you to the position and Ray what uh I chose for this one big question was Louisa Rice, who last season, again, batting average over 350. You can see it right there, 354, uh, which was a second straight season, well over 300. In fact, look at that career batting average, people. 326 for Louisa Rice. This guy's a hitter. Despite all that, Ray, I'm looking at the current NFBC ADP and he's 15th at the position. So, hey, great to have a batting average, but right now, no respect for Luisa Rice. So, the big question. What is he actually worth, Ray Flowers? He's kind of like, we were just discussing Nico Horner. Um, He's kind of an extreme example of that, where I don't even know if it's a two-category guy. It's kind of a one-category stud, and not a whole lot else with Luis Arise.
0: Yeah, Luis Arise, as you noted, 1950s baseball, here we come. He'd he'd be the the better version of Luis Aparicio or something. Uh, (laughs) By the way, second at the second-base position in OPS.
1: Wow. The only one better was Mookie Betts. Can't believe that. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. 861. Wow. Second OPS in they power. <laughs> well, and that's the thing.
0: I mean, that's, that's what I think was so interesting about his season. His isolated power mark was 115, which is basically who he is. It's a terrible number. But the fact is, he had a 469 slugging percentage, which is pretty good. Easily a career best for him. Did anything drastically change? Exit velocity didn't drastically change. Launch angle didn't drastically change. Hard hit ball rate didn't drastically change. Well, where did this come from, right? Did the pull rate change? Pull rate didn't change. So I think at the end of the day, this it's very difficult to look at what he did last year and feel confident about the OPS being mid-850s, right? It's probably low 800s, low or high 700s, which again is who he is. So we know this guy's not a power hitter. just wanted to point that out. Um, for the five years, hit three hundred. Uh, as you noted, he's got a 326 career average in an era where the league's hitting 245. so it's a massive advantage. I noted earlier in the show today, he only qualifies at second base unless you have a very low first base threshold. He played 12 games at first base last year, so if you're at 15 or 20, he's only there got A lot
1: of people years. have a 10-game threshold, they do.
0: <laughs> And if they do, you know that, and it's not that you want him as your first baseman, but it's just the flexibility in season to move him first base, corner infield, second base, middle infield. When there's an injury at first base and there's no one on the wire, but there's three second basemen, you put them at first, you pick up the second baseman. So there is certainly value to that. It's not as simple as what I'm about to say with Luis Arias, but I'll say it anyway. He's a 300 hitter. And the difference between him hitting 345 and 315 is his batting average of balls in play. Because he doesn't match the baseball. He spreads the ball around the field. He inside outs it. He doesn't ever strike out. He doesn't ever walk. He puts the ball in play. And you can basically track his batting average of balls in play directly to his batting average. So, you know, last year it was 362. What are the odds he repeats that? Pretty low. So that number falls back down to 330 this year or whatever it is. His career number is 343.
1: Well, it's 316. And full pause right there. Some guys, Ray, have a 362 BABIP one year, and we're like, well, pff, lucky. Mm-hmm. With his run here. hmm that's what he is. It's a little high, but it's, it's not crazy high. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what he is. So, you know, that I, the average should hold steady. I mean, this guy's been doing it now for five years. Nobody can get him out. Mm-hmm. I What I like about, what I love about him, Ray, is I mentioned that ADP right now. Mm-hmm. Who else are you able to find in the 14th or 15th round that can carry you in a category. And, and that's like the real attraction. If he's falling, like he's 160 overall right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a category that's really hard to find, being able to find this guy that late, I get it. The other things are short and there's probably not more, but it's like that's a huge g- The guy plays every damn day. Like his 354 Ray is not based off of 480 plate appearances. Mm hmm. I mean, so the impact is even greater than some 350s out there because he's doing it over, what do he have last year? 617 plate appearances at 603. I I love it. The faults are there, but Ray, man, I love it that you can get this category stud at that point in the draft. That's pretty late to get a stud like this in in one category.
0: He struck out 34 times last year. 34. That that's even better than 1950s baseball. Like this is crazy. Like what he does is crazy. And I think and I've read a lot of analysis and you know you can find great work uh, about him because he is an outlier. Because when you look when you look at the Statcast data, it says, ugh, ugh, right. And you watch him today or tomorrow, or next week, and you might say the same thing. But the difference is, it's over and over and over again. He's got tremendous control of the strike zone. His contact rate is as good as anyone in the game. He doesn't ever hit pop-ups. His infield fly ball rate's like 3%. He never hits the ball in the air. And because of that, even though he's we wheel keeler, hitting them where they ain't, it works because he consistently does the same thing. He's a phenomenal hitter in an era where this style of baseball just isn't the norm. If he was playing in 1950, he'd be really good and he'd kind of blend in. Now he totally stands out. The difference with him is we saw the ceiling last year. Mm-hmm. And that's why his ADP is 160. If, you know, he's, is he going to hit 375? Is he going to go Tony Gwynn? Is he gonna hit 394? Like, you know, so he, if the stolen base number was 23 instead of three, there would be a fervor to get this guy. Unfortunately, the stolen base number is three. So that's the real issue with him. I agree with you completely. He's a great piece of a team, but you have to, again, just like with Nico Horner, you have to construct your team in a certain way that you can take on the eight or nine home runs and the three or four steals.
1: The one thing I wanted to check here, um because his run score tool is pretty damn low for how often he was on base. And that speaks to all the guys behind him. And Miami was not a very good offense. But what I wanted to look at is obviously last season, uh, what they went out and got Berger and Bell and the offense, you know, had a it didn't have a big switch, but it was a little more uh, fearsome, if you will. And his runs were a little higher because in the first half, 86 games, 40 runs, roughly a half a run a game. Second time around, 61 games, 31 runs. That's a little more than a half, slightly more. So there was a slight uptick. That also came with an on-base percentage that really did fall. Way down. Yeah, his on-base percentage, first half versus second half. And I get that this isn't all perfect. It's not like Bell and Berger joined on July you know, 13th or whatever it was. But just kind of run through the numbers. He wasn't getting on base as much, Ray, but he was scoring more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one spot here. Let's say the average falls to the career mark, 330. But if they get a little more offense going with this team, and I don't know, they, they didn't do much this offseason to elicit a lot of faith and more offense. But that is one number, because last year, Ray, what was the t- 71 runs? That's like really bad for a 390 on base that's hitting mm-hmm. at the top of the order. That That would be my one hope is that their offense shows a little more life and he can get to like 85 runs this season.
0: Yeah, and if he gets 85 runs, that allows you to say, well, he hit three twenty-four this year, and I'm totally fine with that because now we're getting that other boost in the other category because, again, it's not going to come in the home run column and it's not going to come in the steals column. So he really does need that run score piece. Uh, He basically hit first, second, or third all season long last year. He's going to do the same thing again this year. I I don't know how they would or why they would plan on changing that. A key will be how the offense gels because, to your point, yeah, this offense doesn't look, you know, tremendous right now. They really need a healthy jazz chisholm, which would make a huge difference. But yeah. you know, he's he's the path to him scoring 100 runs, which you would say from a leadoff hitter playing 150 games with a 390 on base percentage. Like there's a chance, there's a really good chance. Yeah. That this, his path to getting there is, is a lot smaller than anyone else that would have the 150 games and the 390 on base
1: percentage. Yeah, I mean, Bell's still there, burger's still there, Chisholm is a is a great call. I'll keep him on the field because he's a good player, you just can't keep healthy. I mean, the back end of the order, which doesn't matter a ton to Arise, is pretty weak. They they got a lot riding on that first four being good. You know, they don't have Jorge Soler this year to pick up the scraps. You know, so that's a little awesome. Maybe Brian De La Cruz takes a big jumper. But it ain't much different than what Arise was dealing with last season. So if they were somehow, some way, you know, go out and sign Cody Bellinger or something. I don't know. But, you know, go get somebody who can drive this dude in. So. Right. That is our one big question, Louisa Rise. Uh, One category is pretty well all you're getting right now with the rise. Uh, But that category, especially where you can get them in the draft, is uh, pretty attractive to tell you the the, uh, true story of them. Uh, A couple of other quick things before we get out of here. Minnesota over the weekend signing Carlos Santana. He refuses to quit, right? That guy <laughs> building quite a collection of uniforms. Although, has yeah. he already been with the Twins? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't think he has, but no, no. This is, to me, I get it, right? But they Alex Kirloff, I mean, they have no faith in him. And, you know, it wasn't expensive, and it's a one-year deal and cool. But the Twins got a lot of a slugging lefties, you know. A Walner, Larnich, Kepler, like a lot of these guys that have holes, even Santana. He's still an effective offensive player, but obviously his best days are behind him.
1: Most active team in baseball lately, the Oakland A's. Last week it was Alex Wood. Then they also added Ross Stripling in a trade. But the Giants. <laughs> by, by age, how, many, how many people you think are still season ticket holders with the A's? You think 14, they got 1,000?
0: 14. Yeah, I don't know the number, but it's got to be...
1: for gotta you be make a call to the ticket office ray right, and say i'm interested in see and see what kind of deal they'll cut you
0: eleven hundred dollars for full season tickets in row 10 yeah i don't know what they
1: would do it may be even less right free parking <laughs> on top of that why not they're leaving town what do they care i
0: mean it'll, I, i'm really fascinated to see because i i will say this the a's have never had a massive you know attendance total when they're not winning but they have there's like fifteen thousand die hard a's fans mm-hmm. that are the, I'll be interested to see what they get this year. It, it It's going to be one of the smallest numbers on record, I think. People are pissed with how that's all gone down.
1: Uh, San Diego, speaking of being pissed, nothing pisses off Ray Flowers more than a uh, by-committee approach in the bullpen. But Mike Schilt, Padres manager, uh, says that's the plan. No Josh Hader. So, Ray, I literally look at this bullpen. And, again, they've got a couple of imports that they're bringing in. We don't know how they're going to pitch. But, I mean, there's four or five guys who could close for this team. Yeah,
0: and then they went out and not that Wandy Peralta is going to get ninth inning <laughs> work, but they went out and signed him too. So it's like, ah, boy. I th- We have Suarez. We just updated the, the closer grid over the weekend. We have Suarez as the guy, uh, but Matsui's there. Go is there. They signed them. Daniel El- a- De La Santos has got a huge arm. Uh, these things, you know.
1: I don't know I, if this one's going to work out. Well, <laughs> like one I guy mean, emerges.
0: You know, Matsui's a lefty. So, you know, he's got the built-in advantage over Suarez and and Go, who are righties, but different styles of pitching. And yeah, it's really weird when an organization goes from, we've got the best guy doing this, at least the most consistent guy doing this and hater to now we have no consistency whatsoever. It's a weird pivot when an organization Mm -hmm. does that.
1: Okay, that'll do it for us today. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be in this seat. Um, Fair warning to everyone. Justin Finsterman's taking over. He and Ray are going to be hanging out. Uh, More Super Bowl stuff, more baseball stuff, second baseman as well. Basketball, of course. What do you think, Ray? sleeves or no sleeves for Justin tomorrow?
0: Well, he claimed, you know, until the summer he was going to keep them under wraps, but you're not going to be there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I bet he wears a basketball jersey with a shirt underneath it.
1: Yeah, I, I run a sleeves required club when I'm hosting. That's why Justin lately, I find he's finally read the, you know, notice of violations on the show. So he knows to wear sleeves when I'm here. So maybe tomorrow he'll unleash the beast. Uh, We shall see. But that'll be fun tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Big thanks to everybody today. Chat room, YouTube, X, Facebook, wherever. Good to hear from all of you. Uh, Thanks to people who are uh, downloading us and giving us a listen. Hopefully we are a uh, good listen, whether on your commute or as you get ready for bed, whatever, whatever your habits are. We want to be a part of those habits, I guess, each and every day. Uh, Ray, have a good Monday, rest of the day, and uh, we'll meet back on Wednesday, although you and Justin tomorrow, and I'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll
0: talk some hoops tomorrow with Justin, uh, continue our look at second base and uh, the Super Bowl, and uh, we'll look forward to your return, your triumphant return, Kyle, on Wednesday.
1: Now, folks, if Ray refuses to talk Super Bowl at all tomorrow, let me know, okay? Because he's supposed to do this. Only the biggest damn game of the year, Ray. Come on. Only
0: only biggest game in any sport in North America or the Western
1: (laughs) hemisphere, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take it easy, folks. Thanks for joining us. This has been Fantasy Sports Daily powered by FantasyGuru.com.